Hey everyone, I'm Phil and I'm a master's student in biochemistry. Hopefully I'll be done soon. Nice, my name is Matthias, a master's student in biomedical engineering. You are listening to Orders of Magnitude, the podcast in which we talk about a vast array of scientific topics going from the smallest amylid beta protein to the biggest brain shrinkage caused by Alzheimer's disease. Absolutely, and that's the topic that we are talking about today, Alzheimer's disease. Phil just finished writing the draft of his thesis, that's why he's hopeful to graduate soon, and there's very few people in the world that understand the topic of Alzheimer's and the molecular biology behind it as much as he does. So he walked us through a lot of the epidemiology and all of the things actually at the molecular level that are happening inside of the brain that lead to Alzheimer's disease. And we did some history of the science drama of Alzheimer's a bit. I hope you'll like it. Hope you guys have a good time. Cheers. Okay, so you just finished writing your thesis. It has to do with Alzheimer's, I heard. And that's what we want to talk about today, right? Yeah, I just finished writing the draft of my thesis on Alzheimer's disease. And I spent a lot of time just bumping my head against the wall, trying to understand this disease. And I think I reached like a top 1% understanding of the disease. So I would like to, uh, to share it with uh, everyone, you know? Oh yeah, so you're probably way above the top 1%. Because you are actually just studying the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that people that do PhDs and masters on, on like a single subject, there's like a handful of people that understand the stuff as much as they do. I'm pretty sure we can count on the fingers, on the tips of our fingers, how many people understand this as much as you do. All right, so let's do it. You're, you're, you're very well known. You're very well known. What, what am I saying? No, you're, you're very well knowledgeable on this subject. We'll see. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I first wanted to share my personal story with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, my per my grandmother on uh, my dad's side died from Alzheimer's when she was fairly young, actually. She mm. died from Alzheimer's when she was uh, 75 years old. Okay. Uh, and she got diagnosed, I think, because she never talked to us about her disease, but she got diagnosed when she was uh, 65 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And very, very early in her life. Uh, just for reference... Um, the average age at which you get diagnosed with Alzheimer's is between 75 uh, years old and 80, usually. Yeah, yeah. So 65 was very young. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it went downhill, like, exactly like all the Alzheimer's stu studies we uh, hear about. Like, it's slow, but it's very steady, right? It mm -hmm. starts with the person not remembering very well uh, what, uh, what they want to say or... Uh, small details about the past, but at some point it becomes like some linguistic thing. They're trying to keep up with the conversation, especially when they're in groups. Uh, people who have Alzheimer's, they have a lot of trouble following group conversations, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the thing that happens. Um, yeah, and at some point uh, I couldn't recognize my grandma anymore and it was very awkward right because you want to give the love to the person but you don't recognize them and I was a teenager at the time so I didn't know how to deal with it uh, 
And so a few years later, I had the opportunity to work on aging, age-related diseases. And I didn't really choose to work on Alzheimer's per se, but I got to a team uh, that works on Alzheimer's. And because of that, I think my dad is very proud of what I'm doing because uh, his mom died from the disease. Mm -hmm. So I'm very proud to be working, at least for my master's, on this disease. Do you think that... Uh... Even though you didn't, cho you didn't choose to work on Alzheimer's necessarily, do you think the moment where you, you just started working on it, you kind of stumbled into this research, do you think that your personal experience served as a motivator for you to keep doing the work? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and this is going to sound maybe a bit weird, but the moment that it really ticked into my head that aging was something that could be cured or aging was something that could be understood very deeply is when I saw the speed at which my grandmother went from being very healthy mm -hmm. to being uh, a corpse, right? Uh, my grandmother's corpse was the first corpse I've ever seen. And mm -hmm. when I saw the, the degradation of her body and the very end point when I was alone in a room with her corpse, it struck me like this level of decay after like keeping your body very, very structured and ordered for years and years and years this is not normal this is something that is regulated this is something that like stars align to make your body decay after a certain time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think asking these questions is what motivated me to go and study it later study the process of aging and age-related diseases yeah phil you will cure aging you will cure aging you're the future <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah. right now i'm going towards cancer research but uh that's age related well. to cancer. Aging related, so. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, let's start maybe a bit with uh, what is Alzheimer's. I think we're going to do a few episodes, and this first episode is going to be mainly uh, what is Alzheimer's disease, all of the science drama that surrounds it. And then in the second episode, we're going to get uh, to what you can personally do about Alzheimer's in your personal life, proven by science. Mm -hmm. Not proven, but supported by science at the very least. Can we always prove anything? No, we can't prove anything. We're monkeys. Yeah, philosophical questions there. Monkey-like data. Monkey can support stuff. <laughs> Not proof. Yeah. Uh, I, I was listening to a video yesterday. It was a, like, ask any question to a statistician. It was uh -huh. by Wired. Uh -huh. And the statistician at some point uh, received a question from Twitter. And the, the person was asking... <laughs> um, what, uh, is statistic not relevant because all all of statistic does is it analyzes data and all of data is biased therefore any statistical result you get to is biased mm -hmm. and the statistician was like you're pretty much right like all data you can ever, ever gather is is biased but at the same time it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it's meaningless it's mean that it means that it's not abs absolutely true but it, it can be a relative truth or better truth than just guessing at least get some deep stuff <laughs> okay but back to alzheimer's so alzheimer's is a disease of the brain is that right yeah alzheimer's is a disease of the brain uh it is the main form of dementia so uh mm. if you think about uh, older people who have dementia uh, i can define that uh, dementia is when uh you uh your brain is affected to such an extent or your cognitive ability is affected to such an extent that it uh, impedes your day-to-day -day life, your day-to-day -day normal functioning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. I always thought that dementia uh, was a separate type of disease, uh, not related necessarily to Alzheimer's other than it has to do with the brain and aging. So dementia is actually some sort of umbrella term for several 
different diseases that, um, um, how do you say, that affect your cognitive abilities? Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Dementia is a syndrome, which means it's a bunch of things that you can measure mm -hmm. as a as a response to a disease mm -hmm. it's a, a yeah it's a sim it's a bunch of symptoms that are clumped up together to define uh, a state of I your see. brain i see i see so yeah 60 percent of dementia or 60 to 70 percent of dementia worldwide is due to alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. and uh, alzheimer's disease is uh, so widespread it is and it is extremely age-related because it increases exponentially with age, the amount of people with Alzheimer's. Yeah. So it starts at 65 years old. How, how many percent do you think of people have Alzheimer's? Between 65 and 75, let's say. Um, yeah, okay. Between that range, I would say 5 to 10%, maybe. Yeah, it's 1% at 65 to 69 years ah, old. Okay, it's only 1%. Okay, okay. Okay, now... Between 75 and 79 years old. That's 6%. 6%. Yeah. So it increases fivefold in 10 years. Yeah. And then over 85 years old, how many people? Well, there's not many people in the world that are alive at that age, but uh, I would say maybe it goes to 15%. 25. 25, wow. So every 10 years you live, you have five times more chances of having Alzheimer's up to a certain point. No, the crazy thing is that for every four people above the age of 85, one of them will have Alzheimer's. That's, exactly. That's it's diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Number. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, this is called clinical Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. uh, this is when you do a cognitive test, right? Like the Montreal cognitive test is one of the most famous. Uh, you go and do that cognitive test. Uh, when you are old but not yet have Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And after a little while, if you do that, that test and you get assessed uh, on a regular basis, at some point, your uh, your score is going to decrease, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as your score decreases, uh, at some point, the scientist can call that, or your doctor can call that mild cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. And when you have this mild cognitive impairment, not yet dementia, it doesn't affect your life to such a large extent yet. Mm -hmm. This is when we say that you have Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And after you, you're diagnosed with mild cognitive, cognitive impairment, uh, it takes between six to seven years for you to actually devolve into dementia. So mm -hmm. it's a very slow evolving disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. And is there uh, right now, so it seems, would diagnosing um, this disease early, would that play any factor on like how fast it develops because now you say it's six to seven years but if you find it earlier is there a way of like just staggering it at some point when we're going to have better treatments diagnosing early will be very key to treating the disease mm -hmm. but right now we're working more on symptom management once we have uh, down uh, once we have uh, diagnosed the disease mm -hmm. so currently an early diagnosis is good for the person to uh, take measures in order to like not take too much responsibility because dementia can affect mm -hmm. your ability to take decisions mm -hmm. uh, not drive a car uh, if you're uh, demented mm -hmm. uh, really make sure that your family can be your support system things yeah. like that so being being screened early is important for these things but not to treat yet because there are no effective treatment right so it's really more of a preparation right it's like a a warning call that this might Absolutely. come and you should be ready 
Yeah. That's Absolutely. that's a very sad disease, actually, because if there's nothing that you can do and you're just there waiting for it to come, it's um, it's quite hard, I find. Oh, but there are things that you can do, and this is what we're going to talk in the next episode. Okay, okay, I'm excited but, for that one. Yeah, but to finish with the epidemiology, with like the numbers of like who has the disease, mm-hmm. what is the disease, you know, um, I want to talk a bit about, you know, I uh, the, in the diagnosis there are like these cognitive tests yeah. that we talked about. The thing with the cognitive test is it can assess if you have cognitive impairment, but it does not really assess if you have Alzheimer's. I told you Alzheimer's is uh, 60% of the dementia, the dementia, but the other 40% would also sco- uh, score not well on these tests. Right, right. And at the beginning, people had a lot of trouble differentiating between these two. And we would only know if someone had Alzheimer's after they were dead after we do a bi- brain biopsy and see if there are the markers of Alzheimer's in the brain. Mm. Uh, but now we have better and better uh, brain imagery technologies and we are able to diagnose uh, Alzheimer's with up to 90% certainty before the, uh, while the person is still alive. So the, this is like uh, great advances to, to have early diagnosis for when we're going to need the early diagnosis to treat that's amazing what would be those uh some of those imaging techniques is it like mri stuff or no it's a positron emitron uh, yeah pet scans exactly positron emission tomography or pet scans yeah Yeah. Uh, and we're able to detect uh many many things with this we're able to detect like the metabolism in the brain changes when you have alzheimer's and also uh, the amyloid beta and the tau that we're going to talk about later. That's awesome. Just uh, just a parenthesis here. We should do an episode at one point about that imaging uh, technique. Uh, I had the chance to study that at one point in one of my classes in, in my master's, and I'm mind blown by how that works. It's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. Some like um, nuclear science, nuclear physics stuff that goes into that, and like ah, oh, so cool stuff. We'll do an episode about this. Sorry, this yeah, was, yeah, it uh, literally practices. works with uh, with antimatter, right? The mm. positrons, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's an anti-electron, right? Uh, yeah. In my understanding. So it's like crazy stuff. Like it's crazy that we're able to manipulate antimatter to see things. Yeah, some um, cool stuff. Okay, uh, last things I'm going to ask you about in my pop quiz okay. is, so we've, uh, people have tried in the US to estimate um, how many people... Uh, how much money uh, we lose because of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So we have uh, the money in healthcare. How much do you think it costs every year to the U.S. to yeah. treat patients with Alzheimer's and provide the long-term care? Yeah. Let's, uh, I just want to... Uh, Ballpark. Yeah. Um, yeah, but just saying, I, I don't like the term lose <laughs> when we talk about this. We're not losing money specifically, right? We're spending money. So how much, how much money do we spend on treating patients with Alzheimer's. Um, Not the burden because of the patients, the burden because of the disease, right? It's the disease that's the bad person. Right, 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 right. Oh boy, gosh, in the States, things are really expensive. Uh, um, So you have uh, medications, you have the psychiatrist that you imagine, you have uh, imagings, I don't know. Man, I don't know, billions. Yeah, it's uh, $355 billion wow. every year. Every year. And that's without counting the caregivers who give unpaid work. Okay. And this unpaid work given by caregivers that are from the family of the patients yeah. is up to $250 billion. Wow. And that means that together, each year, there's $600 billion yeah. that is given 
to uh, help treat the disease. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, and the last last thing, there was a group in China who said, okay, if we can, by doing prevention and by taking some measures, decrease Alzheimer's by 10% every 10 years, we would uh, we would gain more than $350 billion in, yeah. the, ne in the next 10 years, every yeah. 10 years. That's awesome. So we can like save so much money by t trying to treat this disease and it's super important to do so. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's uh, that brings, uh, this would be another subject of discussion as well, but just uh, the idea of preventive medicine is, um, you know, it's starting to get more and more attention and all, but before we would treat a disease and not talk much about like how to prevent diseases from appearing, but we can save so much more money if we just teach people on how to be healthy and prevent diseases from showing up. And that's a great example of how that, that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are many things that we can do to uh, de actually decrease dementia by 10% every 10 years. That's not something that's unobtainable. Mm -hmm. uh, they even did a study in the US that was published in the Lancet mm -hmm. uh, that talked about the fact that 40% of 80 cases are preventable. Wow. That's so we, we could do it. Absolutely. Okay. So now we... I think we talked and uh, we gave a good overview about what Alzheimer is and uh, at the populational level. Yeah. But we don't quite understand yet what it is mechanistically. So I'm going to give you this opportunity right now to ask questions about about how it works in the brain of the patients. Right. Because you were talking like at the brain, you were talking about you before we could only... Um, see that a patient had Alzheimer's after doing a biopsy when we would open their head and see the markers of Alzheimer's in the brain. What does that specifically mean? What are you looking for in, the, in a person's brain if you're looking for Alzheimer's? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. So the doctor who discovered Alzheimer's in 1906, so more than 120 years ago, yeah. um, he, uh, Alois Alzheimer's, his name is, um, and this guy was dissecting his people's, people's brain who had dementia. Mm -hmm. And he discovered very, very early, uh, more than 100 years ago, that these people had a brain that was extremely shrunk. All of the structures of the brain were shrunk by the disease. Mm -hmm. And if you can go see a picture online of a uh, normal aged brain and an Alzheimer's aged brain, it's day and night. You will see like yeah, the structures are, are extremely shrunk. So the brain is losing um, some mass. It's losing oh, yeah. structure in some sense. There is a lot of neurons that are dead all around the brain. Uh, you have loss of the white portions of the brain that allow the, elect the, the neurons to fire mm -hmm. very rapidly. Mm -hmm. the, all this white matter in the brain shrinking, uh, especially the prefrontal cortex is shrinking. The mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex is this region of the brain that allows you to take like to have agency in your decisions, right? We yeah. talked about it in the habit formation yeah. podcast. Yeah. Specifically, the prefrontal cortex, that's very interesting. I isn't it like mm -hmm. uh, overall, like a global decrease in the brain? Is it really tar targeting the prefrontal cortex specifically? Actually, uh, the the disease, when it's seeded, the first, uh, the first biomarkers that you can detect, the first like progression of the disease that you can detect yeah. is in the prefrontal cortex. So it's normal that it's the most affected by the end of the disease. Mm. And that leads me to another question then. Um, how, 
what models would you use to study that if it starts in the prefrontal cortex, if most of the animal models that we use don't have that big of a prefrontal cortex to start with? <laughs> That's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quote from my thesis right now. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> I mean, that's, that answers your question perfectly. Mm -hmm. Mouse models are used to study all human disease in vivo. Although discrepancies exist between mice and human in the context of most diseases, perhaps there is no disease less ideal than Alzheimer's to model in a mouse. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and the reason for that is exactly uh, because, one, <laughs> the, mouse, uh, the mouse doesn't have such a big prefrontal cortex and doesn't have a brain that's as complex as humans. Yeah. And second uh, is because m mice just don't develop Alzheimer's at all when they age. They don't develop any disease that is analogous to Alzheimer's. Interesting. Would that have to do with lifespan? Oh, do you, do you uh, understand my a, question? Yeah, you're asking if the fact that mice don't develop Alzheimer's is that they don't have time to develop it. Right, exactly. Um, some people will posit that, but it has not been shown yet. Because mm. then it would be the same as cancer, right? It takes time for cancer to develop because it's all of those mutations that have to accumulate for you to get a cancer. Um, yeah. I mean, assuming that you didn't have any genetic predispo predisposition, uh, would Alzheimer's be kind of the same? It's just a bunch of hallmarks that are accumulating over and over that lead to the disease. Honestly, per my personal view mm -hmm. is that I agree with that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the science that's like solid on it, uh, there is nothing. We okay. can talk a bit later about uh, whether, what are what, what makes me think, what gives me the intuition uh, that uh, it's a matter of time. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we can get to that right after we talk about uh, the biomarkers of Alzheimer's in humans. Yeah, uh, okay. So maybe let's get to it. Let's get to uh, amyloid and, uh, and tau. Mm -hmm. So amyloid is this protein. Uh, and the neurons always secrete a bit of amyloid. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a little protein that is secreted by, by neurons. Nothing too, uh, too exciting there. Uh, there are a bunch of proteins that are secreted by neurons. And they're cleared very readily. So when you are young, your neurons secrete amyloid and uh, other cells in your brain, they come in and they eat up the amyloid beta very, very readily. So it never accumulates when you're young. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. So is it just a protein that neurons are secreting for no reason at all? Um, if we want to get technical, um, the... Amyloid beta is a subpart of a bigger protein that's in the membrane of neurons. Ah, okay. The neurons need the internal part, but in order to get the in internal part, they got to chop off the outside part to, for, for the internal part to be released. And the yeah. outside part is amyloid beta, and the internal part is called like intracellular domain of amyloid beta precursor protein. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And usually those... Um, those amyloid beta that are floating around the brain, they are eaten up by other cells that just clean up the brain. Exactly. It's a byproduct of something that is useful mm -hmm. um, that is readily cleared up, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and amyloid beta uh, is cleared up very, very readily in youth, but something happens uh, uh, when you you are get older, mm -hmm. and at some point, um, amyloid beta starts accumulating. Mm -hmm. And 
Thing is, it accumulates in many people, even people who don't end up developing Alzheimer's. Yeah. It, uh, about 30% of the patients, um, what is it? Oh yeah, 18% of the patients between 60 and 69 years old, they have a lot of amyloid in their brain. Mm -hmm. But at that age, only 1% of uh, these same people have, uh, have uh, actually uh, Alzheimer's disease, right? Yeah. Diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. So there's a discrepancy there. That means that there's something else, <laughs> right? Perhaps. Uh -huh. But then people ran with it. And the reason why people ran with it, and by run running with it, I mean people said uh, amyloid beta is the reason why Alzheimer's, uh, why Alzheimer's develops, Yeah, is because um, when, amyloid beta uh, when amyloid beta accumulates in the brain, it tends to agglomerate to form this big bunch of amyloid beta containing mm -hmm. millions and millions of copy copies mm -hmm. of amyloid beta. It, it becomes like uh, these, yeah, these agglomerates, you know, mm -hmm. this big bunch. Um, and this can be seen in a patient's brain when you open it up. When Alois Alzheimer's uh, opened up the brain, did a brain biopsy on Alzheimer's patient, when he discovered the disease, he already saw these amyloid beta plaques that we call them. Oh, interesting. How big are those? Is that something that you can see with the naked eye or was he doing like um, microscopy stuff to look at it? it? You can see it very, very easily with a 20x on the microscope or okay. with a 10x. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very visible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something, right? It, it creates these big, uh, these big aggregates that you can see. So people were very enticed to say, hmm, that's something we can see about the disease. So it must be involved yeah. in pushing the disease forward. Yeah. The yeah. second thing is some people, most people get Alzheimer's after 65 years old. Mm -hmm. Some patients, a very tiny sliver, maybe one or 2%, will get Alzheimer's between 40 and 60 years old. Mm -hmm. Very young, right? So these people, they have familial Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. It tends to run in families. If your dad got a diagnosed with Alzheimer's at 40 years old, uh, you are very likely to also get diagnosed from Alzheimer's at, at 40 years old. Wait, oh my God, wait, what? Wait, so whoa, whoa, whoa. let me just back up to make sure that I understand everything that is being said Absolutely. right now. Uh, so there was this one dude that liked to open heads in the beginning of the 1900s and he saw that people that had dementia had amyloid beta plaques in their brains. Yep. And then from then on, people were always saying, oh, those amyloid beta plaques have to do with Alzheimer's. That's what is causing the disease. And at one point, people noticed that actually people that have the amyloid, amyloid beta don't always develop the disease. And actually, the minority develop the disease, the Alzheimer's disease. Yep. But there are some people that develop the disease very, very early. And you're saying it's at 40 years of age. Yep. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. Good. Uh, I'm up to date. Good. Keep, keep going. And these people in the 1990s, when we first like were able to look at their DNA and see what's happening with the DNA of these people, the yeah. people who uh, get the disease at 40 years old, we found in their DNA that all the mutations that cause this, no matter where you are in the world, they affect your production of amyloid beta. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so all the people who get amyloid beta, all the people who make amyloid beta very early, okay, they make amyloid beta, they accumulate it, they have these amyloid beta plaques when they're 30 years old. Yeah. They get the disease when they're 40. 
Okay, but wait. Uh, so these mutations would so you're saying that the mutations that people had would increase the production of amyloid amyloid beta, right? Essentially, yeah. Okay. But that still doesn't answer that like it's still not a reason because we see the majority of people that even if they have accumulation of amyloid beta, they don't develop the disease. So having more amyloid beta doesn't just cause the disease. Yeah, but still it says that in those cases, at least the cases in which it's familial, amyloid beta is sufficient to cause the disease mm. because th these people have no other mutations. They have no other change in their DNA aside from an increased production of this peptide, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's sufficient to cause the disease. Okay. And if you notice, they get accumulation of this peptide uh, of this protein, amyloid beta, when they're 30. 30, yeah. 35. Yeah. And they get the disease between 40 and 60. Yeah. Yeah. Would uh, would having someone in the family that had the disease at a late stage in life, does that increase your probability or your likelihood of having it? Yeah. Um, later, uh, the, so we first discovered these mutations that, that uh, caused you to accumulate amyloid beta, that mm -hmm. caused you to have early Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. But later, we discovered other uh, variations of uh, other variations in some genes that increase your likeliness of having, having Alzheimer's early. Uh, by early, I mean when you're 65, for example, or uh, that increase your likeliness to have it at all. Uh, there's one mutation that's uh, especially like uh, that's especially pervasive. They say that in terms of genetic risk, yeah. this mutation alone amounts for more than all the other mutations combined. Just out of curiosity, what what gene is that? It's called APOE. Okay, what does that do? And APOE is a, a apolipoprotein, so yeah. it's involved in transporting uh, lipids. So. Uh, fat in which your brain is, which is really funny because it's something to do with the liver it doesn't have to do with ah, in the brain specifically you said oh no no uh, everywhere but uh, i mean it's it's also expressed in the brain yeah because um, in in my head that apolipoproteins were there just to bring fat back into the liver that's that's what i understood as the function of those types of proteins isn't that what they do they do that but in the brain uh, if you remember uh, the brain is isolated more or less from the rest of the body right. by the, by the blood-brain barrier. So there there has to be some of the lip, of the lipid metabolism that is done within the brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and there are three versions of this uh, apolipoprotein E, this mm -hmm. ApoE mm -hmm. uh, gene. Uh, there's the version two, the version three, and the version four. Very yeah. easy to remember, right? <laughs> Uh -huh. um, what happened to the first version? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so the most common is the version three. Yeah. Uh, most people with a version three, you have about 5% chance of having Alzheimer's at all during your life. Uh, the at-risk version is the version four. Okay. You have two copies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can have two copies of the, any version. So most people have two copies of number three. But if you get only one copy of number four, instead of being 5%, it's 20% chance of okay. having Alzheimer's in your life. Okay. And if you get two copies of number four, you get 70% uh, chance of having Alzheimer's. Ah, uh, okay. So this number four is one mutation on that gene. Yeah, right? exactly. And uh, version number two is actually protective. Uh, you 
are very unlikely to get Alzheimer's at all if you have uh, version number two. Interesting, interesting. So there are three versions of the gene, two, three, and four. You can have, and you have two copies of the gene, right? Because you have two, uh, two sets of chromosomes. So then if you mm -hmm. have two versions of the gene, two versions four of the gene, then you're super at high risk. Yep. If you have <clears throat> one version of gene four, then you are like 5% risk. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. That's very specific. I'm, I'm impressed that people actually know that. That's very specific. Oh, yeah. And I've seen the distribution curves and they're like very, very tight. Uh, there have been some meta-analysis. We're very solid on this knowledge of like uh -huh. that mutation, right? Um, and something we're going to discuss in the next episode is that mutation, you can get it via 23andMe. And should you try to get this information uh, for yourself? Cool stuff, cool stuff. <laughs> Okay, but you were talking as well, you mentioned two main proteins at the beginning, two markers. You were talking about uh, the beta, the, the, the amyloid beta plaques, and then you, yep. were, you also mentioned another protein called tau. What does yep. that have to do with the whole story? Okay, so let's recap amyloid beta. Uh, mm -hmm. We discovered in 1906 that there is this aggregation of this protein called amyloid beta. Uh, we discovered that mutations that cause uh, the brain to make more amyloid beta tends to cause the disease very, very early, like in your 40s, 50s. Um, but then what people do is, a bit later, um, they were able to immunize people against amyloid beta. So they, they found a way to like make the immune system recognize and clear amyloid beta. And these people lost all of their amyloid beta, but still got Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and so the field was like, yeah, we got to find some other thing, right? Yeah. We, we, cured, we cured the amyloid beta, but then the disease still went on. So yeah. we have to move on from this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so they decided to, they found another, another protein, <laughs> uh, essentially another gene. Uh, this gene is called tau. Yeah. And this gene is involved usually, it's in the cell and it's involved in microtubules. Yeah. Uh, microtubules are the skeleton of the cell, if you wish. They're the highways of the cell, I would say. The highways? Oh, yeah. you're skeleton more, would uh, be actin. <laughs> okay. But uh, we They're can say that microtubules are the highways, and if you have stuff that has to be transported from one end to the cell to the other, they go through these things called microtubules, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so they're the highways of the cells. Yeah. And tau, what it does usually... Uh, can you tell me what tau does? Actually, I'm not uh, as uh, expert proficient as you. Gosh, I'm I'm into motor proteins, and motor proteins are proteins that can move around, right? And those there's some of those that move around the microtubules. That's why I know them. Um, all that I know about tau is that it has the ability to bind to microtubules, and it can also somehow bind to this motor protein called kinesin that is involved in bringing stuff from the center of the cell to the periphery of the cell, so the outs outskirts of the cell, right? So uh, that, that's yeah. all that I know. It's just a protein that's somehow involved in the transport of stuff inside of the cell. Yeah, uh, if my recollection is okay, is right, I think it acts as a roadblock sometimes, like it it goes on the highway and like kind of blocks the highway or that's something. That's right. That's right. That's but really interesting, actually, because I, I saw a talk this past weekend that was, uh, for those that don't uh, 
about people that are listening don't know that. Uh, but I was in this um, this biophysics, this scientific conference that was happening, and someone was talking specifically about this protein. And the mechanism is really cool, actually. You can have uh, tau proteins bind to the microtubule, and depending on the concentration that you have, you either block the road or you make the road faster. It's really interesting because if you have just enough, they're there. There's enough just to hold the motors that bring stuff to the outskirt of the cell on the highway. If you don't have any, the motors struggle to stay on the highway. If you have just enough, the motors can stay on the highway and they can move faster. And if you have too many, then they block the motor and the motor can't go through. So they, they, they serve as a regulator. So how is it involved with Alzheimer's? Okay, so tau, one way uh, that it's regulated is through this mechanism called phosphorylation. Mm -hmm. You add this little atom, uh, this little group of atoms onto tau, and it changes the way that it binds to microtubules. Mm -hmm. um, point is that there are many, uh, there are many ways that tau can get phosphorylated and when it gets too phosphorylated something happens is tau wants to bind to itself mm -hmm. and it's the same exact story as amyloid beta when tau is has too much phosphorylation it starts to bind to itself and aggregate it clumps up it clumps up yeah. and the idea is that this when this happens too much you get big clumps inside of neurons mm. and the neurons they can't take it and so they, they die and they burst, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is the clumps by themselves, they can entice other tau to come in the clump with them. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of spreads in the brain like a zombie mm. uh, apocalypse, right? It starts with one neuron, you got a clump of tau, but then the neuron, explo the neuron explodes and then the tau spreads a bit further. It reaches other neurons, neurons take it up because they think it's junk and they want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But then it gets inside of them and there's this clump. Mm -hmm. And this clump just takes their own towel and makes it into more clumps. It's like and a little Troy horse. Get... Yeah, exactly. A little Trojan horse. <laughs> Trojan horse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the idea would be that it spreads all throughout the brain. And what I haven't told is the idea with amyloid beta is exactly the same. Amyloid beta tends to clump up. And when a non-clumped up amyloid beta uh, meets a clumped up amyloid beta, it tends to become clumped up too. Mm -hmm. So th those are like uh, pandemics in the brain, if you wish. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. But um, uh, if I understood it well, the amyloid beta, they are outside of the cells, while the tau clumps, they are inside of the cells. Is that right? Yeah. And the amyloid betas, don't they get inside of the cell? or? Uh, when you want to clear them. When you see amyloid beta inside of cells, usually it's healthy because it's being cleared currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you see tau outside of cells, it's a bad uh, it's a bad thing because it means that it was created inside of cells and then the cell burst apart. Right. So if I understand well with the information that you gave me now, um, Alzheimer's is mainly caused by these two proteins that can clump up by themselves. So you have the amyloid betas and you have the tau proteins, and these proteins can start grouping together and forming these protein clumps that kill neurons. And neurons, they start dying, and because they start dying, you start losing brain mass, and with less brain mass, you start developing dementia and a lower cognitive ability. Is that it? That was the idea. That mm -hmm. was the idea up until the 2010s, oh, or the, even the 2000s. Okay. So the thing is, that was the idea, right? You get these aggregates. These aggregates are neurotoxic. They ki kill neurons. And yeah. that what is what causes the disease. Yeah. 
And this was called the amyloid cascade. Yeah. And then when the amyloid, when we tried to cure the, uh, when we tried to cure the disease by getting rid of the amyloid, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so people went out there and created the tau cascade. Yeah. And they said, oh, it's tau, right? Yeah. And very lately, we've tried to make, uh, we've tried to make uh, drugs against tau. And little did we know, it does nothing. Ah. So now, <laughs> other people are developing new system. They're saying, "Oh, it's because of the brain vasculature. It's because uh, when your uh, your brain is isolated from the rest of your body via like uh, via the blood that runs in your in your veins cannot like get to the brain that easily, mm -hmm. and then the breakdown in this barrier. Anyway, people develop a lot of hypotheses to like say this is what causes Alzheimer's. This is what causes Alzheimer's. This is what causes Alzheimer's. And in the end. What we can say is we don't know yet what causes Alzheimer's. Wait, 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 wait. But we were talking about the apoprotein, ApoE. Yeah. And we, we kind of skipped over it. I'm sorry. Why, why is it involved in, uh, in Alzheimer's? Honestly, there are many mechanisms that have been discovered. For yeah. example, one of them is ApoE is involved in clearing uh, amyloid beta. Yeah. So there's a receptor that is responsible for cells to detect amyloid beta and to eat it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But ApoE competes with that receptor. And the best receptor to compete with it is ApoE4. Yeah. That means that if you have that risky thing, you have something that competes for amyloid beta clearance. And so yeah. you get amyloid beta clearance much early. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the mechanisms. But... Lipid is in uh, the, the fat in the brain is involved in so many things that it could be that, but it could also be so many other things. Mm, mm. But that looks, I don't know, I'm, I'm very uh, unknowledgeable on the subject, but with what you're telling me, that looks like the most obvious target to go for now. If amyloid betas didn't work, tiles didn't work, let's go for the ApoEs. Make a drug. And there that are drugs being developed it. for yeah. ApoE currently. Yeah. Thing is, uh, ApoE is a risk factor, but might I remi remind you that 70% uh, of people with the most risky ApoE ha don't develop it when they're until they're like 85, right? Right. So right. it, and people who have no risk factors at all still develop the disease. And so it, what it tells me is this disease is extremely complex and we shouldn't be. Uh, using the the like uh, same paradigm as with single mutation genes, right? Yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't be thinking of the disease just by it, trying to find one protein. Mm -hmm. it, it won't work. Mm -hmm. It might delay a bit, but it won't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. But for of sure. course, yeah. But like, if you're if you're developing a a medicine, a medication of some sort, it has to target a specific gene, right? I think. That medicine will might, that medicine, for example, uh, a drug that targets ApoE uh, four. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it could uh, it could help a bit with like delaying the disease onset or something like that. But I think if we want truly curative cures to uh, complex diseases like cancer, Alzheimer's disease, uh, all of these all of these like diseases, yeah, we will uh, diabetes like all these things, we will have to develop new sorts of drugs. Like these target-based approach to won't work anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I got what you mean. I got what you mean. And maybe just the, uh, the, the approach to the treatment 
itself. It can't, it's not a drug anymore. It will probably be something completely different. Lifestyle changes and stuff, right? Lifestyle changes, but also uh, combinations of drugs. Drugs that are delivered in specific type of cells. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mixes of of things. like uh-huh. <laughs> Mixes of RNAi, you know, mixes of... Uh, maybe uh, injecting stem cells some things like that like so, i don't want to i'm not a drug delivery person i've yeah. n- never taken pharmaceutical classes but yeah i've read enough papers about drugs that didn't work for these kind of diseases yeah that i'm starting to think that we have to rethink the way uh that we design drugs right right did we cover all of the basics on alzheimer's or is there anything else that we should uh, know yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about what we can do to prevent it in the next episode, and then we'll see if uh, it's still relevant to talk about the complex uh, pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. Cool. Cool. Okay, so let's stop this one here and go for the next one. All right. So I hope you guys had a good time trying to understand uh, this disease that is not easy to understand for sure. Uh, and have a good one. Cheers. <laughs>